we are the monkeys. You know we love to please. A manufactured image with no philosophies. We hope you like our story, although there isn't one. That is to say there's many. That way there is more fun. You've told us you like action and games of many kinds. You like to dance, we like to sing, so let's all lose our minds. We know it doesn't matter, because what you came to see is what we'd love to give you and give it one, two, three. But it may come three, two, one, two, or jump from nine to five. And when you see the end in sight, the beginning may arrive. For those who look for meanings, inform as they do fact, we might tell you one thing, but we'd only take it back. Not back like in a box back, not back like in a race, not back so we can keep it, but back in time and space. You say we're manufactured. To that, we all agree. So make your choice and we'll rejoice in never being free. Hey, hey, we are the monkeys. We've said it all before. The money's in, we're made of tin, we're here to give you more. The money's in, we're made of tin, we're here to give you... Hey everybody, welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com. Movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley and I'm super excited for this week's show because we're talking about one of my very favorite movies, The Monkey's Head, which means I'm joined once again by the biggest monkey I know, JB. Do you know how stoned you have to be to write the lyrics can you dig it and we're not told what it is right do you know so now what you're digging is also something you can have knowledge of and then my favorite would you care to let it show so what is it and how do you show it and like most songs that are written when someone's high the person who's high knows exactly what they're talking about but they're not able to convey it to anyone else I love. Can you uh, dig it, man? I love the late Patrick, great. Can you dig head? Can you dig the movie head? I can do you dig know? it. I do, do dig know? it. Would uh, you care in this podcast to let it show? I love the late great Peter Tork, and that is a Peter Tork composition. But it is my least favorite song on the Head soundtrack. And you know what? I I'm so glad you brought that up because rewatching it for what must be the fiftieth time for this podcast, this time that was my favorite song. Interesting. And I also thought, considering that Mickey Dolan's Circus Boy and uh, Davy Jones, Oliver, were both professional actors, on this rewatch, I thought Peter came off the best. Uh, I just, always just love... In terms of his acting. I always love Mike in this movie because he's doing something much darker than everyone else. But we'll get to this. We're getting ahead of ourselves yes. here. Sorry. Sorry about that. We're so excited. Uh, today was a big day because we announced... We're so excited to be, to be talking to another person. <laughs> we, uh, we announced the lineup for F This Movie Fest 2021. We're celebrating six movies from the year 1988. On March 6th, beginning at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, we're going to watch six movies over Twitter. Uh, from 1988, we're going to watch Beetlejuice, Willow, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Action Jackson, They Live, and Die Hard as part of F This Movie Fest, which is, this is going to be our 10th one, which is really something. So uh, for more information about that, if you've never participated in F This Movie Fest or you don't even know what it is, be sure to go to fthismovie.com. There's a tab at the top of the page that'll tell you all about it and give you the lineup and all the details. But I'm excited. 
and the choices are excellent this year. Last October, a friend of the site, Mike Pickley, did a socially distanced outdoor screening of They Live. Boy, does that movie hold up. And it just came out on 4K. And Willow is another one of these movies where I've seen it once the day it was released. And I haven't seen it since. I haven't seen it in a number of years. I don't even know how many years it's been since I saw it. But we rarely get to show uh, fantasy movies during F This Movie Fest, so I thought it would make for a fun change of pace. I completely forgot that Kevin Pollack is in it. Yeah, he's one of the little brownies. The brownies. Yeah. He's one of the brownies. I forget who the other one is. Rick Overton? Or am I making that up? I've seen a gif because uh, at one point they say stupid humans, although they have a cute name for humans, and it's sort of become a meme. And it looks like Rick Overton, but I don't think it's him. I'm looking it up. It's probably not. Uh, yeah, Rick Overton. Wow, my yeah. bad. All right. Good job, me. Um, so that's F This Movie Fest. That's the skinny. J-Bones, have you seen anything good lately? Well, I got to tell you, and as a part and parcel of this is me thanking you, because what I usually do is spend January playing catch-up. And I was very happy that as the month went on, more and more people, it seems, uh, were finally seeing Bad Education, yeah, which I was talking up at the end of the year because I thought it was really, really good and sort of ignored when it came out like halfway through the year last year or maybe even in March. I don't know. It was not one of these things that was released in December. So I was really happy that people were enjoying it because it really is a superior piece of work. And then I started to watch the films that you were suggesting at the end of the year that I wasn't able to see before the end of the year. So thank you for the suggestions. And thank you for suggesting that I see the uncut version of Possessor. Yes. Because... I'm not the brightest bulb in the box, but watching that movie, I can kind of tell what must have got cut Yeah, for the other version, and I was really glad I saw the uncut version, and I don't want to spoil it, but there's one shot in particular. It's a tilt. It starts from uh, Andrea Reesboro's face and then tilts down, and uh, if any of you sit down and watch the uncut version uh you'll know the shot that i'm talking about and i'm watching that on my big screen and i'm thinking your father would be proud <laughs> that's a shot right out of your father's work young man um i liked it so much that though it crossed a line i don't often like when they cross in horror films yeah i thought this was handled with a reasonable amount of aplomb and was essential to the point they were making at the end. Um, it's a really great movie. And then on Adam's suggestion, I finally caught up with Jasper Maul, mm -hmm. which might be the most depressing movie um, I saw all year. And <laughs> maybe the pandemic has something to do with it, but you're sort of, when it starts, you kind of think it has more of a sense of humor to it than it does. But as it goes along, it's just, you know, it's it's Franz, it's Franz Kafka's Metamorphosis. Oh, no, where we started is the best it's going to get. Right. This is a movie that, that uh, illuminates a downward spiral. Um, and then I saw Let Him Go, which I thought was 
really, really good, and all of you should see it. And then I saw Hunter Hunter. Oh, what would you think of Hunter Hunter? I loved it, but it showed how naive I am because, and this is not a spoiler, um, for the first half, I kept waiting for the husband to come back and save everyone. Sure. That's where I thought it was going. And boy, it doesn't. Um, it's really, really good. I think both of us in the past um, have said, in fact, I think the first example of this, we for the first couple of years, we used it as a touchstone. Uh, the Rapture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A film that goes there. Yes. A film that that follows its premise to its logical conclusion. And certainly Hunter Hunter does that. And then finally, uh, courtesy of pay-per-view, I got to see News of the World. And um, I wrote a column about it. I, I just thought News of the World was uh, amazing and proof that maybe people still want to see Westerns. Do you think in a non-pandemic year that News of the World would have made um, a bigger impression? Because it think came it and would. went. Like I, I think it would, mostly because of Hanks. I also think that for whatever reason, and I don't know if this is just people I talked to or what the marketing push was, it was sort of being sold for just the, the section with the town that's run by one guy. Right. The fake news and, section. Right. And it was sort of being sold as a political allegory. And that's selling the film short because um, I actually think the film is about a lot of things. Um, and the ending that we get is so well-earned and so tremendous. I just, I, I loved every minute of it. And uh, proof uh, that it's an actor's paradise is there's a whole bunch of character actors in it um all of whom make an impression and in some cases each one has a single scene yeah well it's one of those kinds of movies where it's like a road movie so he encounters different people along the way and everybody gets a scene i often think back to movies like network and all the president's men where you could get an Oscar nomination, not that those mean that much, but you could, in theory, get an Oscar nomination for a one-scene performance. Right. Um, Network has two of those, right? Yes. Ned Ned Beatty and what's her name? And uh, Beatrice Strait. Yes. And uh, why do I think of... Oh, I'm... Oh, All the President's Men. Um, Oh, good Lord. Uh, the secretary, boy, if you could nail him, that would be great. Uh, she has one long scene and went on to a long career in movies, and I'm and I'm faltering for her name, but she too got a nomination for what is, in essence, a single scene. It's been way too long since I last saw All the President's Men, and uh, I've been meaning to rewatch it, but I want to wait until I pick up Nixon on Blu-ray. Um, the Anthony Hopkins Nixon? Yes, and do a double feature of the two. Okay, Man, might I suggest that you watch all the President's Men first? Sure. Okay, I, I am not a fan. Oh, of really? Oliver Stone Nixon, not at all. <laughs> I've seen although, it once, but it was years although ago. Although it's been a couple of years. Um, very quickly, all the President's Men, for me, is becoming like 12 Angry Men. Okay. Maybe it's any film with men in the title, because <laughs> secretly I'm gay. 
Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. That if all the president's men is on, I have to watch it. It's so compelling and it's so well made. Yeah. Um, a quick note for those of you listening, Possessor, which we just talked about, uh, the uncut version is now streaming on Hulu. If you are a oh. Hulu subscriber. I should have um, waited. I bought the 4K. Oh, no, that's worth it. The, in the tiny little window, the 4K was the only way to get the uncut version. Oh, interesting. Uh, no, it's good yeah. that you own it. And um, I just saw another film that was on my top ten list, 12-Hour Shift, written and directed by Bria Grant, is also now streaming on Hulu. And there's something coming up that peop- that everyone's going to need Hulu for. I've had Hulu since they gave me a 30-day free trial, and I activated it to see the Ron Howard documentary eight days a week, the Beatles touring years, and I never, I never stopped subscribing. Um, so, are you thinking of Nomadland? That, but there's something else that I assumed everybody on Earth wanted to see, and hmm. it's going to be on Hulu. Um I don't know what that could be. I don't know. Well played, Hulu. I I signed your devil's bargain to see a Beatles <laughs> documentary, and what was that, four years ago? Yeah, and you didn't even like that documentary, right? No, I didn't. <laughs> but I also didn't know you didn't like the Beatles anthology until I read your column a couple weeks ago, and I haven't seen it since 1995, and in 1995, right, yeah. I think I liked it because it was, you know, six hours of six the Beatles. Six hours of the Beatles. But that's a more complicated question, Patrick, <laughs> because though if you read these some 2,000 words I've about it, <laughs> you might reach the conclusion that I have some problems with it, but if that's the case, why do I watch it almost every year? <laughs> That's when you and have I'm to not, just come to terms with the fact that you like it. I've had I'm these not, movies before where, like, I just I, – I tell myself I don't like them, and I'm constantly compelled to revisit them, and then I have to just accept, oh, it's because I like it. And I'm not talking about the network TV version, uh, which is a snack. I'm talking about the 11-hour oh home video version. 11 hours. I do. 11 hours of Paul explaining – that he wrote yesterday because what you do is you take your plunker and then you start plinking on the plunker and then you get yesterday. I do miss that mid nineties period when we were getting all that new Beatles stuff and we got live at the BBC and all the anthology sets. That was very cool. Well, again, friend of the site, Heath Holland and I commiserate on this every so often because the Peter Jackson documentary that looks very exciting and very cool was, uh, pushed forward a year so now we have to wait till august of this year but there's all this stuff that hasn't been released and i've joked i make the same joke on the on the website every five years they're waiting for every original fan to die (laughs) shea stadium has not seen a legitimate release the documentary let it be has not seen a legitimate release since the days of uh laserdisc and um, even the Beatles cartoon show, which you can kind of see because they all really hated it, and it's kind of cheesy, but it's found money. So why do they keep, like, they keep putting out, see, this is something only big Beatles fans would know. They keep putting out, like, expensive pen and pencil sets. Could never have too many of those. Like, the White Album. I don't want a pen. <laughs> I'd like a decent-looking version of Shea Stadium because when I went to a theater to see eight days a week, 
even though I had already seen it, but I wanted to see it in a theater so I could hate it on a bigger screen. <laughs> I went to that special screening because the bonus feature was after eight days a week, they showed the Beatles at Shea Stadium. Well, that's cool. So it exists, right. and it's been cleaned up, and it sounds good. So what's the what's the, the loggerhead? The rumor I've heard is when the Peter Jackson documentary comes out in August, which looks amazing, um, when it comes out on Blu-ray, there's a rumor that the original Let It Be documentary is going to be a bonus feature on that disc. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, speaking of home video releases, J-Bones, the last time you and I did a show together, not our best of the year stuff, but the last time we did a proper podcast together was talking about King Kong 1976. Yes, and apparently Shout Factory was listening. Because we said on that podcast, hey, they are working with Paramount now. Wouldn't it be great if they put out a Blu-ray of King Kong 1976? And just today, what was announced? There's a Blu-ray of King Kong 1976 coming out very soon. And so you can watch it properly. Uh, what Did both of us stream it for the podcast? I have the DVD. And I discovered... I say this on the podcast, but God knows that was months ago. I discovered it on a streaming service, or maybe I rented it from Amazon. I don't yeah. know, but... And my memory is the DVD does not look good. It does not. So I'm excited to have it in HD, and I'm excited because they're including the the extended TV cut. Yeah. Because when they showed it on TV, they split it over two nights, correct? Yes, they did. And I'm hoping, because it's, it's one of my favorite internet GIF memes, um, that the one single shot we get of the robot will be longer or there'll be more robot footage in the extended cut. They're going to include the all robot cut. Well, you know, when it came out, they tried to right. convince people that the whole thing was a robot, <laughs> which from from the first time Kong appears, you're like, ah, no. <laughs> I believe that's Rick Baker in a monkey suit. <laughs> Best monkey suit ever filled up to that time. When people see my monkey suit, Speaking of, well, I have seen your monkey suit, Patrick, and it did make me cry. <laughs> They're going to um, cry. Um, if any of you are on the Instagram machine, uh, follow Rick Baker because his posts are delightful. Sometimes he just does a little project to entertain himself, and he posts pictures of it, like stuff he 3D prints or makeups that he's working on or sketches. It's really one of the more entertaining Instagram accounts. Cool. Did he have anything to do with this Coming to America sequel that's coming out? I don't know. Because I think he's and retired, but I don't know how officially he's retired. Yeah, I haven't seen the credits yet. I was actually a little surprised um, that John Landis uh, wasn't asked to direct the sequel because it, it just seemed like an obvious choice. And although I would argue it's too long... Um, I'm actually a fan of Coming to America. I like it a lot. And it's I great. Think a lot of what makes it work is what Landis brings to the party. He and Eddie Murphy had a big falling out, though. I mean, I know they made Beverly Hills Cop 3 after that, but they had right. a huge falling out on Coming to America. So, Well, that's, that's um, a shame because yeah. 
I'm a big fan of John Landis. And this is the same director as Dolomite, right? Isn't this Craig yes. Brewer? Yeah. yeah. So I have hope. No, and I, you know, what I've seen so far, it it looks funny. Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, some of the participants haven't aged out, and I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> um, I've got a couple short things to talk about. I finally, I would say watched, but I'll say experienced Cruel Jaws from 1995. (laughs) Uh, um, I've been dying to see this movie for years because years ago, Scream Factory announced that they were putting it out and then they pulled it. And I didn't know really anything about the movie. So when they pulled it, I investigated a little bit and it turned out it's because there were all these rights issues because Cruel Jaws uses footage from other Italian shark movies and Jaws and was released in uh, some parts of the world as Jaws 5. It's directed by It's directed by Bruno Mattei who makes these insane Italian rip-offs if you've ever seen uh, Shocking Dark also known as Terminator 2. It is a shameless <laughs> rip-off of Aliens. If you've ever seen Robo War, it is a shameless rip-off of Predator. And, of course, Cruel Jaws is really just uh, another Jaws sequel. It's not great, and Bruno Mattei is a bad filmmaker, but it's never less than very, very entertaining. Hmm. So you can borrow my copy if you want to see Cruel Jaws. Thank you. Um, it's, uh, social media and the Twitter machine has been all abuzz with people one by one and two by two finally seeing it and weighing in. So it's been on my mind. Yeah. Well, Severin finally put it out and how they got around the rights issues. I'm not really sure. And they do a thing where if you buy it early enough, you get a slip cover that has the ripoff title. So like I have a shocking dark Blu-ray with the Terminator two slip cover. Uh, and they were producing jaws five slip covers, but I didn't buy one of those. I didn't spend the I... extra money. I could see if it's sort of a collector's item. Yeah. And I'm about to make some of our listeners cringe right now. Are you into the slipcovers? I could care less. Because I know sometimes you just, you like to keep everything that came in the, in the case. Yeah. Like anything that originally came in the case, you still have. Yeah. Um, there's, there are people on the Twitter machine who are crazy about the slipcovers and, they would really hate me because one of the first things I do when the thing arrives is throw it out. Oh, well, you could sell them. People buy them. If what I'm buying comes with a slipcover, it can't be rare, can it? Well, it depends on what it is. I mean, um, some stuff that's been around for a while, like, and has a slipcover, if you still have old slipcovers in your collection, those might be worth something. People now, I mean, Vinegar Syndrome really figured it out because they sell just the slipcovers now. You could spend five or six bucks and buy just a slipcover for one of their titles that originally didn't come with one. That's right. I saw that. Um, but I'm not. If if it comes with one, I keep it. I put it on the shelf that way. I used to take them off and stick them in a drawer. But uh, now I just leave it on the disc and shelve it that way. But I don't go out of my way to like get rare slipcovers or anything like that. Right, because then I would have discs on the shelf with slipcovers and discs without slipcovers, and then how can you sleep if that's the case of the shelf? So this only bothers me in the case of Star Trek The Next Generation, which was released in seven separate collections, 
six of them on my shelf have slipcovers. Oh, boy. And one of them doesn't, <laughs> and I struggle with it, this. Is there a fast trade on eBay for uh, the slipcovers? I don't think I've ever looked. But, yeah, if you guys have a line on a season one slipcover and want to send it to me, please be my guest. It will Do give it. me. It will bring me peace. Do it. Then he can <laughs> sleep. This man hasn't slept since 2016. That's basically true. Um, I saw Malcolm and Marie. Did you watch Malcolm and Marie? Why does that sound familiar? It was it's, the it's new about... Netflix movie last week. Last Friday, Netflix dropped it. It stars John David Washington and Zendaya. And it's about. A, filmmakers or screenwriters? He is a filmmaker, and she is okay. like a model slash actress slash his girlfriend. And they're awful people who argue for two hours. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. No, you're fine. Uh, <laughs> it, it was. It is not good. It is unpleasant to watch. These are unpleasant people having terrible fights. He's pretty abusive. Um, it's written and directed by Sam Levinson, who's Barry Levinson's son. Oh boy. Nepotism run amok. So we, earlier we talked about Brandon, Brandon Cronenberg. That's good nepotism. Sam Levinson, maybe bad nepotism. Um, but he is also the creator and showrunner of Euphoria on HBO, which Erica and I have just started watching. Do you guys, you don't watch Euphoria, do you? No, I do not. It's... Erica likes it way more than me. It's very bleak. It's about young people. It's basically like 90210 if there was way more drugs and graphic sex. I'm too busy with WandaVision, and that takes all my time because after we watch it, we have to break up visual study group. <laughs> that show's so good, though, right? Oh, no. I, it's uh, If you like Twin Peaks and Lost, that sort of puzzle box of a TV series, yeah. it's really, really good. Anyway, I don't know if I recommend Euphoria, um, unless you're into that kind of thing. I definitely don't recommend Malcolm and Marie. Uh, it was shot on film and shot in black and white, and the photography is good, if I'm looking for something positive to say about it. I don't know why it was shot in black and white, except that maybe Sam Levinson hasn't graduated film school yet. Maybe Levinson was trying to ape Mank. Maybe, although Mank was shot on fake black and white, this was at least shot on real black and white. The whole thing feels kind of like a student film, like a student who just saw a Cassavetes movie and is trying to do that. The review of the film that I read mentioned Mr. Cassavetes. Okay. In a in a positive way, like, if you like John Cassavetes, you'll like Malcolm and Marie. In a positive way for John Cassavetes, okay. in a less than positive light for Malcolm Emery. Got it. Um, the last movie I'll talk about is a movie that came out near the end of last year. It's called Rent-A-Pal. This was an IFC Midnight title about a guy who it takes place in the 80s, and he's taking care of his mother who has dementia. And he's very lonely, and he subscribes to a video dating service. And while he's at their... Uh, office one day he finds a tape called Rent-A-Pal and he brings it home and it's Will Wheaton and instead of a video date it's like a video friend and he sits there and talks to you and uh, and of course things turn ominous and their relationship grows very 
strange and codependent and it's fun to see Will Wheaton play kind of a darker character. Um, but the movie treads a lot of the same territory as Beyond the Gates from a few years ago, written and directed mm -hmm. by friend of the show, Jackson Stewart. And as everybody knows, I'm a huge fan of Beyond the Gates, and I would much rather people watch that than Rent-A-Pal. So it was not a sunny um, 80s throwback comedy? Sadly not. No. It, it gets pretty dark. Um, but that's streaming on Hulu as well, if you guys are interested. I like that Hulu picks up a lot of the IFC Midnight titles. Yeah, Hulu. It's like a horse race, and every week we look at what streaming service is ahead. Um, <laughs> I think I've mentioned um, how unbelievably high I am on Peacock and HBO Max. Yes. Well worth every penny every week. And HBO Max has something big coming out this week, Judas and the Black Messiah, I think? Yes, which I've been dying to see because um, being somewhat always I've always been interested in the Chicago seven. And of course, right before the events of the film that you're speaking of, Fred Hampton was, um, in Chicago advising Bobby seal. And, uh, um, right. it's a fascinating chapter in American history. I was happy that, um, trial of the Chicago seven got a couple golden gold, golden globe knobs, nods. Not that that means anything, of course, because they snubbed the five bloods. They snubbed a lot of stuff. Uh, I haven't even looked at a complete list of Golden Globe nominations so far, so I'm I'm way out of the loop on that. Uh, Borat got nominated for Best Picture, Comedy, or Musical. Well, it was a comedy. Yes. Therefore, it which gets I, a nomination. Which I love, but again, I still remember like 20, 30 years ago when the Golden Globes was a joke because it was an open secret that you could buy the damn thing. And the fact that they bifurcate the category for Best Picture means that Borat, uh, in its uh, search for the Golden Globe for Best Picture, Musical, or Comedy, is going up against Hamilton, <laughs> which in American society, we will now officially replace the expression apples and oranges with Borat and Hamilton. I like it. I think it's oh, going to no, catch on. Patrick. No, Patrick, you can't make that comparison. <laughs> It's Borat and Hamilton. <laughs> or as John Mulaney once said. <laughs> Lobster and Lobster Skittles. and Skittles. <laughs> but that was in reference to The Godfather and Scarface, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, The Godfather and Scarface are a hell of a lot closer in spirit yeah. than Borat and Hamilton. And I love both, but it's it's odd. At first you think, oh, well, that's a good idea. So you don't have comedies going up against dramas, but it, it leads to some strange bedfellows. Did Prom get nominated? I believe it did, or some pieces of it did. I just If anything's a musical, it scores a nomination in that category. It's like they have to justify the musical part of the comedy or musical, so every year at least one musical comes out, and it always gets a Golden Globe nomination. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about a different musical. Let's talk about Head. The Monkeys yes. musical from 1968. Um, I, for a long time, couldn't see this movie because it was very hard to see growing up. It was. I knew it that was. the Monkeys had made a movie, and I was a huge Monkeys fan from the time I was a very small child. I had a wool hat that I used to wear around the house that I called my Mike hat, uh, even though Mickey was always my favorite monkey. Um, 
but I would watch the monkeys every day. I had their first album on vinyl, the original, you know, vinyl from the sixties. And it skipped in a bunch of places because it had been played so many times. I don't think I ever heard the second verse of Papa Jean's blues because there was a giant <laughs> skip on it. Um, and so when I finally got the CD, when I was in high school, it was like, Oh, there's more to this song than I've ever heard. Um, when I was in high school, TNT did like a rock and roll movie night and they showed the animated classic heavy metal mm -hmm. and they showed the monkey's head. And I remember just setting up a VHS to record all night because I couldn't stay up till two in the morning to watch it. So I just hit record on a VHS, let it record all night long. And that way I could tape it. Uh, and that was a Friday night. And I had a speech tournament the next day and the speech tournament got canceled because there was no heat on the buses and it was winter in Chicago and it was 10 below zero. This happens often during speech season. And, but then we had to like stay at the school and have a rehearsal and we had to do all this stuff. And I just wanted to fucking go home and watch head. <laughs> like, why are you, <laughs> why are you drawing this out for me? Let me go home and watch head. Um, head was subsequently then released on VHS by Rhino, and then you could finally uh, see it without commercials. Um, and then there was a DVD, and now there's a beautiful Blu-ray of it as part of the America Lost and Found collection from Criterion. So it went from, I can't see this movie, to now it's part of the Criterion collection. And if you're really interested in spending way too much money, you can buy the Blu-ray set of the entire Monkeys TV series, because one of the discs in that box is head as well. Yes. Um, yeah, but that's a very expensive set, right? Well, do we have a minute for a story? Always. When that was announced, I knew what a big Monkees fan you were. And I'm always casting about for a birthday present because you're hard to buy for. And I ordered two. One for me and one for you. And then it was delayed. And then it was delayed again, and it kept getting delayed. So it took forever to get it, and like many fancy box sets, they designed a box that would um, self-destruct when you shipped it anywhere except across the street. So your box shows up. My memory is you were trying to be nice, but yours was messed up, and mine was really messed up. I don't remember it being bad, but I think it was messed mine up. Mine yeah. is bad. Okay. I mean, Jan performed surgery on mine with some hot glue and barely got it to stay together, but it was really, really bad. So clearly you and I weren't the only victims of this. And so they made it known that there would be replacements or, or refunds or something. And I contacted them and then I was in customer service hell for without exaggerating two years. Wow. Every couple months I would check and hasn't been long enough to contact them again. And I was tenacious, and I kept sending emails, and, like, they must have had wholesale firings in the customer service department because every time I dealt with customer service, it was clear there was a completely different customer service department with completely different rules. This goes on for two years, but the story has a happy ending. Um, eventually, someone was put in charge who was like, what the hell is this? This poor schmuck's been waiting two years? That's insane. And he's still sending us emails. Long story short, they refunded me for both of them. Oh, wow. 
So that was the cheapest birthday present I've ever <laughs> given you. It only took two years of work. And the way that they refunded my money was, I think because I had put it on PayPal, they just put the money back in my PayPal account. And I felt like the PayPal millionaire because for a couple months it was like, I'll just put PayPal. I believe <laughs> I have a balance. And it was great. Um, the box that I'm talking about was not cheap. It came with a vinyl single. Yeah. Every episode of the TV show with bonus features on Blu-ray and a copy of Head and 33 and a third Revolutions per Monkey and other things. Now, I think my son may have borrowed the America Lost and Found set and not brought it back. So off the top of your head, does the Criterion disc have bonus features that the TV series Blu-ray set doesn't have? I believe so. Because the TV series Blu-ray, which is the disc I watched for this podcast, has an audio commentary by all four monkeys. That's on the Criterion one. A boatload of different trailers and TV spots. Yeah. And deleted scenes. I don't think it has deleted scenes. I don't think the Criterion one. It has an interview that's only like three minutes long and not totally worth watching. Um, There aren't a ton of bonus features. Have you listened to the audio commentary? I have not. I really wanted to before this podcast and couldn't get to it. Okay, I don't want to spoil it, but it's definitely worth your 90 minutes because I am quite familiar with the monkeys. And, you know, they were recorded separately and then it was edited together. The four of them really reveal their personalities in the commentary track. Mickey keeps making claims for the film that are ridiculous <laughs> about how great it is and how influential it was and how underappreciated it is. I agree with all that. Mike just keeps talking about the fact that back then he was in a space where he was worried about other things and he finds it ironic that he was in a major motion picture. He didn't pay attention to anything. And then later on, he becomes a producer of movies and television that he would have been aided in that right. later career right. if he had paid more attention. Uh, Peter is wonderful and has stories to tell about all the supporting cast. And Davy is so bitter about the film that resulted. And basically for the entire track, he complains specifically about that famous um, shot from the Vietnam War. Okay. And says it has no business being in this film, that they were, they were assuring their failure by doing that, and that maybe if they had tried to do something a little bit more like the television show, it would have been more successful. He's, very, he's still very upset that it, it did not do well when it first came out. And he wishes more of it were like his daddy's song number. Which is amazing. But, um, yeah. the, I mean, the movie seems designed to destroy the monkeys. But that's what's yeah. kind of great about it. I agree. Um, I'm not a shrinking violet. But I will say that whenever I watch it, um, the shot in question, and the film came out in 1968, so this is hardly... Spoilers, and I'm betting that most of our listeners have seen that piece of footage because it's very famous. 
it's a, a shot of a Vietnamese man being shot with a gun um, point blank in the temple. And it's very difficult to watch, especially when it's repeated across 20 screens. Right. And then we hear a scream, which turns out to be monkeys fans uh, heralding their arrival at a stadium. Yeah, the editing of this movie is something else. Um, if you haven't seen this movie, and there's a good chance you haven't, uh, because it's one of the most esoteric movies we've probably done a podcast on in our yes. almost 11 years, but I finally was at the point where I was like, fuck it, I just want to talk about the movies that I want to talk about. And this is a movie I very much want to talk about because I really, really love this movie um, as a fan of 1960s counterculture, as a monkeys fan, as a filmmaking fan, as a Jack Nicholson fan. He co he co-wrote the movie um, yes. as a Bob Rafelson fan. It's fascinating on so many levels and it's such an interesting movie, but not necessarily an easy one to sort of wrap your head around. And I love it, too, but more cautiously. And something that Mickey said at one point on the audio commentary struck my fancy, and I started to think about it, and I fell down uh, Alice's rabbit hole, and I, I couldn't stop thinking about it, that because Head is not interested in telling a linear narrative, it's one of the few American films that you could literally start at any point, play it until you get back to that point on right, repeat, right? And it will, in essence, be the same film. Yeah. And of course, they they welcome that interpretation because of how the film begins and ends, right? Um, but say what you want, that's not easy to do, and Head is one of the the few films that does it, um. What I compare it to, and I'm not going to make your blood boil by filling this podcast with Beatles comparisons. Uh, obviously, the Beatles TV show was uh, the Monkeys TV show, rather, was based on the enormous success of the Beatles. Specifically, uh, the TV show is sort of a hard day's night help homage. But when I watch Head, what I really think is going on is that they were very, very much influenced by Magical Mystery Tour that had come out the previous year in Britain, um, not only with the narrative structure and the way the music is presented, but also with the use of solarization. Okay. Um, in Magical Mystery Tour, when the sequence begins for the song Flying, it's all this scenery out the bus window, and it's solarized. And one of the reasons why Magical Mystery Tour was such an abject critical failure in Britain is that they showed it on Boxing Day 1967 and the BBC showed it in black and white. Oh. So the entire point of that sequence, I don't know what you would think if you were sitting there right. watching it black and white. You right. would think that someone had lost their mind. Um, what I think is really interesting, though, is between the Beatles movies and the Monkees TV show and Magical Mystery Tour and Head, you basically have the blueprint for what later becomes Mike Nesmith's elephant parts <laughs> and elephant parts is what becomes MTV. Mike Nesmith was one of the consultants who dreamed up MTV with Bob Pittman for via for, for Viacom. I've never seen elephant parts, but they had it at my local library when I was a kid. 
to to check out VHS tapes, you had to flip through these cards, and you would bring the card up to the counter. You couldn't just grab the tape off the shelf. And I would always just stare at the Elephant Parts card, and I think it had an R rating on it, which is why I wasn't allowed to rent it. But uh, oh, knowing Mike Nesmith's involvement, I wanted more than anything to see Elephant Parts. It's not R. And can you remember the card? My guess is it has Mike in a tuxedo on it. I'm remembering somebody in like a gas mask. Hmm. But I could um, be completely I, I'm wrong. Not sure. I'm not sure if it holds up. But Elephant Parts is pretty much... Uh, the monkeys TV show magical mystery tour and head in that there are proto music videos of interspersed with very short little comedy sketches. And you can see that the progression is pretty obvious because someone gets into a boardroom and says, well, we don't need the comedy sketches. Let's just make those commercials and we'll show visual representations of music, which is, I believe what, um, Mike Nesmith later gets his honorary Grammy for. Uh, they gave him credit for inventing the music video. Can you enjoy Head if you're not a Monkees fan? Believe it or not, I think it might be easier. Really? Because the film seems to want to be the anti-TV show. If you go in thinking, oh, they're the four lovable guys from that crazy, silly show, and you might say, well, why is this like this? Whereas if you know nothing, maybe you would judge it more on face value that this is a very twisted, trippy counterculture film with some great music and a, and a couple comedy things that I still think are very funny and hold up. Yeah, I mean, you could certainly appreciate it as sort of a visual and auditory experience, provided you have a high tolerance for kind of late 60s hippie nonsense. But I just think there's so many in-jokes and so much of what the movie is trying to say about what it is to be a monkey that you that would go over your head. All the stuff about, Peter, you're the dummy. Right. Um, all the stuff about even in that opening segment when the girl goes and kisses all four of the guys and when she kisses <laughs> Davy, the blind, the shutters open and the birds are his, chirping. His birds. And, right. Um, or his whole thing about picking out a boxer who's who he's going to fight and he's talking about his million dollar smile, you know. Um, there's so many jokes about their on-screen personas and so much about them wanting to escape the confines of this thing that's been created around them and for them. Uh, I, I wonder if all of that would like go over your head if you're not a, invested in the monkeys as a, as an artistic endeavor. But I also think if you have no knowledge of the monkeys, just like the examples you just cited, there's enough stuff that's sort of indigenous to the movie. And here I'm thinking um, in the foxhole, when Mickey doesn't like to wear his helmet because it's uncomfortable <laughs> and Davey brings him the football helmet. Yeah. I don't know why. Hey, hey, man, I brought you this. Maybe this will be better. Um, that has always made me laugh. And on this reviewing, I froze the frame because that football helmet looked awfully familiar. And then I remembered that both movies were made for Columbia and that Jack Nicholson wrote Head and starred in Easy Rider 
where he famously wears right. a gold football helmet instead of a motorcycle helmet. So I thought, is this from the Columbia Prop Department? Is that the same golden football helmet in both? While well, I froze the frame, I looked at some pictures on uh, the Internet machine, and it's not. Oh. It is not the same football helmet. That would have been uh, a cool piece way, of trivia. The football player is Ray Nitschke, who was a very famous football player at that time, and Peter uh, reports that he was a quiet and sullen <laughs> and didn't seem to be enjoying life very much. Oh. Well. The other joke that I really like that has nothing to do with the TV show or their, their reputation is... Um, oh, it was right on the... It was right on the tip of my tongue. Give me a second. The the football helmet and uh, I've lost it. Oh, bummer. There's another joke that's e oh I remember. Um, Mickey is lost in the desert and he's dying of thirst, and he comes upon a Coca-Cola machine that's out of Coke. That's very wonderful. Yeah, and then he blows it up. Yes. Um, Coke was not happy about that. And I'm wondering, because there's a very famous film, uh, not Vanishing Point, it's the American film that Michelangelo Antonioni made. Um, not Blow Up, it's the uh, Zabriskie Point. Okay. Zabriskie Point famously ends, spoiler alert, with all these consumer products exploding in the desert. And I'm I'm wondering which film was first. That Antonioni, so commercial. <laughs> Don't get me started about La Ventura. <laughs> well, see, I thought that this was a movie that at least made the monkeys happy, but now hearing that Davy hated it, uh, because it does seem like a movie kind of designed for no one. Certainly, if you're a monkeys fan in 1968, and the movie comes out shortly after the television show has already been canceled. Uh, so the timing on it is, is pretty horrible. Apparently there were production delays that prevented it from coming out while the show was still on the air. Um, if you're a monkeys fan in 1968, chances are you don't like this movie. Two of the monkeys on the audio commentary specifically talk about this phenomenon that preteen and teenage monkey fans would hate it. And anyone who would be open to an independent, groovy, kind of trippy 60s movies would not deign to go to a monkey's movie. Right. So it was it's a movie, a movie for no one. Without an audience. One of the more fascinating things, because, you know, I'm a big monkey's fan, too, and yeah. have lots of box sets and vinyl and um, that wonderful Missing Link album that we both love. And um, that... If the timing had been just a little different, the Monkees did two or three seasons at night on NBC. Was it two full seasons? It was at least two. I thought there were three total. but Okay, let's call it three. They did three seasons on NBC, and then they're, they're canceled. And then um, the Monkees keep recording, and then, of course, like you said, they may head, but it was delayed. In the meantime... About a year after it went off the air, NBC started airing reruns on Saturday mornings. And that's actually when I started watching the show. Okay. Because now I'm like six or seven, 
and I'm up on Saturday morning, and this show's cool. It's a half an hour, and it's funny, and I like the music. Um, the ratings on the Saturday morning airings are phenomenal. Every book about the monkeys I've ever read has suggested that if the Saturday morning reruns were just a little closer um, to the cancellation, they would have kept making it for Saturday morning. Yeah. They would have kept doing the show. Well, that's unfortunate. Yeah. That it was... uh... So at the beginning of the podcast, I was singing badly the song, Can You Dig It? Yes. Which I could not get out of my head uh, (laughs) upon my latest rewatch. What is your favorite song in the movie? That's an impossible question because I love Daddy's Song, which is a Harry Nilsson song. Yes, and Um, I just recently bought the first two Nilsson albums on vinyl, and apparently the first issue of one of them had Daddy's Song on it, and then, because he was on RCA Records too, when that song got chosen for Head... Subsequent pressings were missing this Nilsson's version. Oh, because the place where I bought the vinyl made a big deal that Nilsson's recording of Daddy's song had been restored. Um, is it on the vinyl that you have? Yes, I want to hear it. Yeah, Nilsson singing it. Um, I'm a big fan of Nilsson, and every so often he used to stop by Beetlefest, and you know the the story of. Nilsson in the last couple of years, he would just show up on people's doorsteps and take them on an adventure. <laughs> and the Harry Nilsson I got to meet at Beetlefest um, was not doing very well because he had some substance abuse problems and he had pretty much destroyed his voice, which was incredibly sad because you've heard him sing in the mid sixties. Right? Sure. Yeah. He, he had the voice of an angel. He had just one of the most beautiful voices. I mean, listen to his version of without you. Um, so I got to know sort of, uh, down on his luck, Nelson, but he was a great songwriter. Um, on the, on the, the last rewatch for this podcast, I was struck by the fact that the filmmakers want to be different. And so there's no opening credits. Right. But when Mickey jumps off the bridge, spoiler alert, <laughs> and we get all the solarized footage with the mermaids, that's where the opening credits go. Yeah. I mean, it looks like a James Bond right. uh, title sequence. But it's just a I, music video instead. Right. So you like all the songs, you can't just pick one. I, lo- I love Daddy's Song. I love As We Go Along, which was co-written, I think, by Neil Young. Yes. Um, my favorite is probably Porpoise Song, which is the obvious answer, I think. Uh, and that is the song that plays during the solarized James Bond opening. And honestly, it was... I had never heard it until the first time I saw Head um, because Rhino had not yet reissued all of their albums. Right. And so I'd heard, you know, their hits. Basically, I had a, I had their first album on vinyl and then I had a cassette tape of like the Monkees' greatest hits and maybe Missing Links Volume 1 on CD. Um, but so the first time I saw Head and the first time I heard Porpoise Song, it was like, holy shit, this sounds, this is like... The, Be- the the monkeys by way of Sergeant Pepper. This sounds nothing like any other monkey song. And it's Definitely. a great song. And Cameron Crowe used it very memorably in Vanilla Sky, which I appreciate. Um, and I also love Circle Sky, but again, weird nitpicky monkeys shit. Um, 
after I saw the movie, I remember going to Best Buy and finding an original pressing of the soundtrack. Uh, not the Rhino Deluxe Edition. And the original right. pressing has a studio version of Circle Sky, but not the live one that's in the movie. And the studio version is not as good. And then and when Rhino was, put it... Oh, go ahead. That was a tremendous bone of contention because Mike, at the time, made a big fuss because he wanted the version release that was actually the four of them playing. And on the studio version, there's studio musicians, and that was a major contretemps that contributed to the end of the monkeys. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, when I got the Rhino Deluxe Edition reissue, then as a bonus track, they have the live version that's featured in the movie, and it's much better. It's Which a is lot- really good. Yeah. And in the spirit of Spinal Tap, um, the original soundtrack album of Head uh, came with a cover that was a, a Mylar mirror. Mm-hmm. So... What is that saying, man? <laughs> You're looking at the album. I'm the what head. See, what you see is yourself. Here's, <laughs> here's your head, man. And I just saw it on Amazon. Rhino, in its uh, never-ending quest to wring more money out of the monkeys, has released an alternate version of the soundtrack, I'm guessing with alternate takes, and the cover is a golden mirror. Hey, man, now I'm gold, man. It's called Head Alternate. Um, I love Porpoise Song. Uh, 20 years ago or more, Mickey Dolenz put out a CD on a small label. Might be Rhino, but I don't think it was. Called Mickey Dolenz Puts You to Sleep. And it was Mickey doing famous rock songs in the style of lullabies. I kind of remember and this. And he, he re-recorded porpoise song as a a song to help little children get to sleep it was sort of charming although i i'm not sure exactly how many times i played that cd all the way through <laughs> it's i remember it seems like more of a novelty it was in a very cumbersome box that didn't match anything else uh, on anyone's shelf ever anywhere don't do it mickey dolan's puts you to sleep and um it is wonderful to see them playing during the Circle Sky number because on the audio commentary, Mike says, by this time, you know, we can actually play. Right. Uh, or Torque might not be the greatest bassist, but it's it sounds good to me. Yeah, no, I really like that live performance. I'm glad there's at least one live performance in the movie. And then we get the great climax where they're literally torn apart by their fans. Yes. With a mannequin with a face that looks a lot like Davy. Yeah, it's a good... They uh... keep showing that, that Davy mannequin face, and I'm like, <laughs> is that left over from the TV show? Where exactly <laughs> did they get that item? And can you purchase it on eBay? <laughs> um, yeah, the way that that's all cut together, the, the assassination that takes place during like the Diddy war chant... Yes. Um, into the Circle Sky performance is kind of amazing, I think. And again, uh, the movie has a strong anti-war streak that runs through it that, again, I have to believe was putting people off. You know, uh, the intended audience, I think, was really put off by this. 
it's very obvious that Nicholson and Rafelson, you know, were trying to get away with something. And I'm famously a fan of movies that get away with something. And this is like one of the ultimate, look what we got away with. We took the monkeys and we turned them into this counterculture thing. Um, and they were the most pop culture. They were the most commercial, you know, yeah. they were this fabricated group of, uh, strangers you know hired to play a band and eventually became a band for real i just was listening to headquarters again the other day and that's actually a really good album that's the one right and i won't spoil it but the final shot uh when we discover that they're not in the ocean (laughs) yeah um i think is inspired yes you said adds to the to the film's theme that no matter where they go they're being put into one box or another also ultimate film trivia or perhaps this can be used in a very twisted game of six degrees of seven of kevin bacon what do the films head and the godfather have in common uh i like both of them there you go vito scotty the character actor appears in both in head uh, which is full of these great character actors yeah. in the late 60s. Yeah. Um, he's the Italian guy who's surrendering. Oh, okay. And at the beginning of Godfather, he's the baker who asks Don Vito to let the kid stay in America so he can marry his daughter. Oh, wow. And he also appeared on Gilligan's Island. So we're talking a career here. That is a career. Uh, I could I could see now, I don't know if he's still alive, that... Um, there should be an autobiography in the works. Vito Scotti from Gilligan's Island to The Godfather. Do you know his character name in Head? I do because Nicholson wrote it. The <laughs> film is full of strange character names uh, that only make sense if you see them on the page. It's a reference to a Fellini film. I Vitaloni. Yeah. Yeah. Because the police officer who later turns out to be a little feminine He's got a real weird name. It's like Ophelipid. Yep, that's exactly right. Lapid, and but lap and the lapid is L-A-P-D, but the yeah. Ophe is, I believe, uh, a, um, a, a very coarse epithet that people used to use to designate um, homosexuals. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite segment in the movie? I love the foxhole. <laughs> I love the I'm, Old I'm, West, too, with Terry Garr. I'm less of a fan of um, all mature stuff. Although today I read they they wanted to get Victor mature, and he's, they call him the Big Victor, yeah. because they were making fun of RCA Victor. Right. And that he represented, you know, the man and the corporation and stuff. Which comes um, through, even if you don't necessarily know... You have to know that it's Victor Mature, but you don't you don't necessarily right. know about the RCA Victor thing. But I think it comes through in terms of like him being the corporate overlord. Yeah, the, the giant, yeah. Uh, literally the overlord. Right. Um, every time I watch this movie, uh, no matter how far apart the screenings are, I always wind up wondering what Annette Funicello is doing in it for, <laughs> I believe, less than a minute. Um, she's got two scenes. She's sitting on the porch while he's playing the violin and then she's got the tearful like please don't do it Davy she's trying to talk him out of boxing which is interrupted by a jump cut of someone adjusting the tear on her cheek right 
as, as if to expose that that's all fake too. Right. This movie's full of um, stuff like that. I love it. Daddy song is amazing. We've alluded to it. Uh, Davy is wearing a sort of a, a black tux and he's dancing on a white background and then through editing, they keep cutting back and forth to him doing the exact same routine in a white tux on a black background, and it's trippy. They intercut them back and forth sometimes very, very rapidly. It's very cool. He dances with Tony Basil. Yes, who is not is who is also an easy rider. Oh, yeah. And Helen... Very long Greek name that I've never been able to pronounce. Uh, she's one of the dancers in Can You Dig It? And she was famously one of the hitchhikers in Easy Rider who's complaining about how awful everything is. I kind of remember. Yeah, she's in the car and she's just, everything is shit, everything is shit. <laughs> and then after Nicholson's big scene um, where he clears the diner table, uh, she's the one in the car later. Hey, that was really great, man. You really showed her, man. And Nicholson's favorite, famous retort is, yeah, but I didn't get my sandwich. I love the diner scene that Nicholson and Dennis Hopper show up in. Because um, I, yeah. I love all their interplay with the waitress. They're yeah. ordering all the weird food. A cold glass of gravy with a hair in it. I also love... Um, Peter obsessing over um, <laughs> how him punching a woman will be taken by their fan base. I think that's really funny, too. It is really funny. Again, you know, their their personalities, I think, really come through in the movie. I think that the, the writers were smart in the way that they use each of their different personas um, – and are playing off of their on-screen personas, but also playing off of who they are in real life. Uh, Peter is very concerned about violence, but then we also get the whole, like, no, I'm the dummy sequence. Which is, I we were joking about that earlier <laughs> this week on ta uh, text message. That sequence is just transcendent. And <laughs> I'd like to think that even if you weren't familiar with their TV show, the basic concept is such that you would still get the joke, especially the way it's presented. Um, maybe not. I'm not sure. You, you mentioned the writers. Um, I've read that uh, Rafelson and uh, Nicholson and the monkeys went up to Big Sur where they proceeded to get stoned and run a tape recorder. And then Nicholson took these tape recordings and turned it into a script. And later, the monkeys were very angry that they weren't going to be given some sort of screenwriting credit yeah. because they thought they had contributed. And uh, because of this, on the first day of shooting, Peter was the only one who showed up. The other three were sort of on strike. And later, this was settled. They didn't get screenwriting credit, but it's been suggested that that sort of represented the final split between Rafelson and the monkeys. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a bummer because, again, I watch this movie and I think they're all in it together. And they're not. Because, again, the, the story goes that then Rafelson would play other bands on set and talk about, now that's music, uh, <laughs> openly mocking the monkeys. And I watch this movie thinking that they, and Rafelson and Nicholson, that they're all in this together, that they're all on the same page, that they're all out to kind of blow up their image to do something important, to do something that matters, to break new ground, all these things that I think head does. 
Um, but it sounds like that's not the case. And even 40 years later, as I alluded to, if you listen to the audio commentary, they're still in very different places. Mike is a million miles away talking about how back then he was a million miles away. <laughs> Mickey is championing this as some sort of masterpiece of independent filmmaking that hasn't been recognized. And Davey's still mad. Mickey's right. Of the four, I like it the most when Peter talks because, as in many great audio commentaries, he tells little stories about filming and the people involved, and it's great. Although it's kind of sad because by the time they recorded the audio commentary, um, Peter really didn't sound like himself anymore. Hmm. The other three have very distinctive voices right. that are the same. Right. Uh, at one point, my wife came down and said, is that Peter? Because, you know, with, with age, his voice had changed so much. Sure. Um, I had posted something on Twitter about this movie, and, and people responded, more than one person responded, yeah, I love it, it's a shame you can't buy it on its own. Which, as we pointed out, is true. You can get it as part of the Monkees Complete series, or you can get it as part of America Lost and Found. But I would just like to recommend the America Lost and Found box set, because oh, no. not Talk only do you get head, money. yeah, you get Easy Rider, you get Last Picture Show, you get five easy pieces... No, that's that's an amazing box. And um, like two other the, movies. Uh, Drive, he said, and King of Marvin Gardens. Yeah, I still haven't seen Drive, he said. It's amazing, mostly because of Bruce Dern. Um, if Now, I haven't done this, but I suspect if you're not a quality bug, you might be able to pick up a, a DVD on eBay. Um, it did get a, it did get it a standalone did. A little... disc release. On DVD. Like a snap case. Yeah. When Rhino was still a thing. Because Rhino turned into Shout Factory, yes? Yes. It, well, the, the primary guys behind Rhino started Shout Factory. Okay. That's what I thought. Because um, I don't think... Hold on. I'm going to say Monkey's Head DVD. Uh, and, of course, if you're wondering, they claim... That's $40 on okay. DVD. Are we... Just like the monkeys made a movie in 1968 that no one would see. Are we recording a podcast that no one's going to listen to? Oh, absolutely. Because they can't easily see the film? Absolutely. And because they're just like, I don't know what head is. I've never heard of head. Supposedly the rumor is that they called the movie head because yes. then if they ever did a follow-up, um, they, they were could gonna, advertise. They, right. From the people who gave you head. Which is very similar to, uh, at one point, John Waters wanted the poster for one of his films to be you've seen pink flamingos and polyester, but nothing will prepare you for John Waters Pecker. <laughs> I remember Pecker. But I, I just okay. <laughs> I've read that story over and over and over since probably the early seventies. And um, there has to be something to it because that's, that's actually pretty funny. The Pecker one or from the people who gave you head? From the people who gave you head. I remember first reading it in Mickey Dolan's book uh, and being like, well, how are they ever going to get away with that? Again, they're this G-rated band on Saturday morning, you know, kitty TV. Uh, and according to the Wikipedia machine, Head was one of the first American movies where all the advertising had the rating because that rating system was relatively new. Right. 
and that uh, all the ads stressed that it was G. Even though I think Mickey Dolenz has incorrectly identified it as being an R movie in the past. Well, think about it. Um, the the news footage that I keep referring to that yeah. I still find disturbing, yeah. I think you could argue that similar things had been on the evening news. So it's not as if they filmed a, a gory special effect or something. It's not like it's part of a narrative where they created this footage. It's it's black and white news footage. Other than that, what in the movie is even PG? No, yeah, there's nothing. I mean, it's objectionable. But again, G sounds like it's for kids and kids Exactly. that aren't me are going to be very uh very confused by this movie. Well, I was told that both Terry Gar and Annette Funicello would be topless. And <laughs> I was very disappointed, but I haven't watched the deleted scenes yet. I do. Oh, right. Yeah. No, I need to hope, break out hope my... Springs at <laughs> I need to break out my... Well, supposedly they cut like 40 minutes, so there must be a lot of deleted scenes. I'm very surprised right. to hear that. But And, and that was the, the final fact that I find so tantalizing. Uh, when it was first shown at its premiere... It was significantly longer, which I admit would be a problem because, yeah, a movie with, that's kind of shapeless in this way would probably start to test your patience. It's about eighty-five minutes, and I think that's pretty perfect. I don't think it runs Any, out of steam. Yeah, anything that doesn't have a narrative. Yeah. Um, yesterday, um, we we uh, posted my column about Mouse Hunt. Yes, and I'm a big fan of Mouse Hunt, and Mouse Hunt has a narrative. And I even think Mouse Hunt, which I love, could stand to lose 10 minutes. Are there any movies that you don't feel could stand to lose 10 minutes at this point? The Irishman. Okay. <laughs> I just wonder, the older we get, the more movies we see. Uh... No, that's a criticism that I level a lot, and it's a little snot-nosed. I admit it. But, uh, <laughs> part of it might be because we've seen so many movies we sometimes want the filmmakers to just get on with it. Right. Yeah, that's true. Um, anything else you want to say about head? Um, Jan said at the beginning of the show, I should have, instead of butchering, can you dig it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I should have started to sing the monkeys theme uh -huh. so that in the spirit of theater of the mind, our listeners could imagine you and I walking down the street interlocking our legs the way the four monkeys do at the beginning of the show, you know, when they do the leg thing? Of course. And that, that would have been a better way to start the podcast. When quarantine is over, that is the first thing we're going to do. But what is a better way of describing that way of walking? <laughs> than the monkeys walk? Oh, perfect. When quarantine is over, you're the first person I'm going to do the monkeys walk. With. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys very much for listening. Please seek out this movie if you can. Uh, if you have a way of seeing it, please seek it out because I genuinely believe it's something special. If you get a chance, it it pays big dividends and it's and it's endlessly repeatable. Yes. And it's short, as we just said. Uh, thank you, Jay Bones, for talking about this with me. This was kind of a dream podcast. Yay! <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. Remember to go to fthismovie.com to read more about F This Movie Fest. And we will talk to you next week.
Getting very excited for this movie fest. Yay. Now. 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 